Welcome to the So You Wanna Be a Data Scientist podcast. Here we interview awesome data scientists and other data professionals. This show is part of the website So You Wanna Be a Data Scientist.com. After listening, take my free data science Kickstarter course to learn what it takes to become a data scientist. In the meantime, enjoy the episode. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the So You Want to Be a Data Scientist podcast. Today, I have Nicola Valesova and Peter Michel with me. They are data scientists at Data Centics, and they will share their knowledge with us and all their experience. So welcome, guys. Um, hi, Misra, and thank you very much for having us. Hi, thank you for the invitation. Of course, thank you for being here. So before we go any further, I would like to know uh, what your company does. Can you tell us a little bit about Data Centics? Sure. Uh, we are a machine learning and cloud data engineering boutique. So that means that we create solutions tailored for our customers to help them use their data to bring a real impact and really help them. We try to come up with creative and useful use cases that end up uh, bringing a real change for our customers by either saving their time or their money. Yeah, exactly. As Nicola said, we try to prove that the data are useful and show the customers how the data can be utilized. And we try to show uh, their, value, their real value because it's something that uh, the customers really uh, sometimes don't have. So we try to achieve this. We have a diverse portfolio of projects, uh, for example, for detection, NLP, computer vision applications, and so on. Also, we are developing uh, our own products, for example, AdPicker, which is a tool for digital marketing, or Shelf Inspector, which is a computer vision-based uh, project or product about optimization in, in retail, or Job Number One, which is a tool for improving the HR, HR processes. And uh, one, I think, important point which uh, we can say is that we uh, we try to demystify the hype about uh, machine learning and data science. We uh, try to create interpretable models and uh, not just black boxes. Oh, that's really cool. Uh, so, you know, you don't only uh, offer solutions to companies, but you, as, I, as far as I understood, you also work with them to see what kind of data science solutions that you can bring to them, kind of work with them to understand their data and also bring some knowledge to their um, company. And uh, then can we call you guys consultants? Yeah, yeah, exactly. I think you get the message perfectly. And what we are trying to do is to help our customers also understand their data and what can do what they can do to what they can achieve with their data and with the utilizing so uh, we don't want to be a black box company that comes to you and sells you this solution that nobody understands and nobody can reuse or alternate but we really try to uh, show them the solution and explain what it does and how it works. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's pretty cool. That's pretty nice. And um, so this is more of a personal question. So I would expect you guys to uh, answer separately. Uh, how did you end up where you are? Can you tell us a little bit of your journey? How did you end up as a data scientist? Um, so my journey is a bit unusual, at least for a data scientist in data scientists. The more unusual, the uh, better. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. Uh, I studied computer science and for quite a long time I didn't know what I wanted to specialize in. 
when I was in the third year of my bachelor studies, I started a part-time job as a software engineer for Red Hat. And I really loved the job. I liked coding in Python and I liked backend, backend development. But after some time, I realized that in the long term, I wanted to do something more scientific, let's say, and challenging. So I decided to quit my job at Red Hat and I started a new part-time job in Thermo Fisher Scientific. And there I was very lucky that my former manager gave me a task on image super resolution with the use of neural networks. And I got really passionate about it. I learned a lot along the process and learned around the solution. And that's why I, uh, that's where I finally started to uh, put my pieces together and to see where I wanted to be in my future career. And uh, another step towards my data science career appeared when I uh, was searching for a topic for my master's thesis. And I came across an article about our postdoc student uh, who was doing some research around bacteria and their classification. And I thought that was really interesting. So I contacted him and uh, thanks to him, I got a master thesis topic regarding uh, classification of bacteria uh, according to their 16S rRNA sequences. So <laughs> this maybe sounds a bit complicated, but it was just a string of characters and uh, a tree of classifiers. So a perfect AI application. And uh, after I finished my studies, I was trying to find my first full-time job. And I was again lucky to meet my current colleague who told me about data centics. And what got me interested in data centics was the portfolio of people working for it and their backgrounds and their diverse knowledge. And I knew that I wanted to be a part of such company. That's very cool. And uh, what did you study for your master's? Uh, it was computer science, just general, but focused on intelligent systems. I see. So basically, that's how you got your uh, data science knowledge in a way. Yes, yes, also. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, but you didn't um, study out of that on online courses, etc. I didn't do many online courses, but I did uh, one crash course by Google. And basically, I learned by doing, sort of. Mm -hmm. I understand. Yeah, I think that that's one of the best ways to learn anyways. <laughs> and uh, Peter, what about you? What is your journey? Yeah, my journey is uh, slightly different, maybe, because I'm still studying. I'm finishing my master studies right now. And, uh, well, I studied uh, statistics because I always, always loved math and uh, such things. And uh, then I, I realized that I want to do I want to do math and also some real world applications. And I thought it's uh, the, stat the statistics uh, is the right subject for me. And partly I, I was right, I think, because uh, after a few years of uh, school, I also... Uh, I also was uh, looking for uh, some part-time job and uh, I met uh, data syntics on uh, career days at uh, our university, which was an, an event uh, when, where few uh, companies uh, were 
uh, where they're displaying and uh, showing the, uh, had their stands. And I met their cool, cool people at from the Tosentix, and uh, the company uh, was really cool. And uh, I work here now. And what I like uh, about uh, data science, maybe why I chose it, is because uh, it's partly the math I like to do, but also it brings me the the contact with people and uh, the solution to their problems. It's just not theory. Doing theory uh, at school, it's something which really has the impact, which was maybe the the right reason why I chose data science. Yeah, that's a, that's a great reason. And so. It- I feel like you guys have some serious motivation to have chosen data science. So it didn't just happen to you, but both of you have uh, consciously chose data, a data science career, which is uh, really good to see. Uh, so now I want to go a little bit more into the depths of what you do every day, because that's one of the things that our audience is really curious about. Uh, can you tell me a little bit about what you do on a normal weekday as a data scientist at DataCentix? What, kind of, what are the, some typical tasks that you work on? Um, I personally like to start the day with a quick update. So I check the email and new messages on Slack. Um, I also like to start the day with the most important thing in the morning, and that's coffee. (laughs) (laughs) And of course, I check that no errors occurred in the production pipelines. And if, if they have, then I immediately try to solve them. And that's the top priority in the morning. And apart from that, I try to plan meetings in the afternoon and I try to code in the morning because uh, I am more tired in the afternoons and uh, also more people are active in the afternoons. So I get more uh, Slack notifications and the morning is more calm and I really get to focus on the tasks and on the implementation. Yeah, exactly. Uh, to it really really uh, nice way maybe I one point I uh, also uh, have uh, in common that uh, sometimes you really have some tasks to tasks to do that day but uh, then some unexpected issues and problems occurs and uh, you have to solve them or help colleagues with some problem you uh, solved earlier so it's uh, like uh, the plan you want you wanted to do and then the reality you have to do so sometimes uh, quite uh, complicated to manage uh, this these two lists but uh, at the end of uh, each day uh, I try also to check what uh, tasks I have planned for myself today and what I really did and what uh, I will be doing next next day. I see. So um, Nicola you specifically mentioned that you are also doing some maintenance on the models that you prepared before Uh, and do you are you also part of the development uh, of new models? Yes, uh, in data scientists, it's not focused on, or, or the work is not divided into model creation and model maintenance, but it's more of divided into the projects itself, like uh, the smaller, the, the small projects on each client. So, for example, I am responsible for a project called Cookieless Targeting. And that means that uh, I am the owner of the solution and I created the model and I make sure that it's running okay and I'm responsible for new enhancements and new adjustments. I see. So basically you, yeah, as you said, you own a data, you own a project and you are the responsible person and you basically work on anything that uh, concerns that project. Yeah, exactly. Okay. 
And yeah, we talked about some of the technical things that you guys are doing, but what about the more people-facing things? Do you go and talk to clients? Do you have a lot of meetings? Or how much time does that take in your day? Uh, I would say, on average, it takes around 10 to 20% the people-facing part of our job. And it's very different for every project. And also it depends on the cooperation setting we have with the customer. But in every project, we see the customers face to face and we try to be there for them uh, in any case and in any moment. Yes. Also, I would add that it depends on the stage of the project because, uh, for example, at the beginning of the project, uh, we uh, are We have meetings with the customer more often to be sure that uh, we are interpreting both uh, the purpose of the project uh, in a similar way uh, to pre prevent some uh, mis uh, miscommunications or wrong uh, wrong uh, targets. So it's one thing. One thing, and also when we finish uh, our, our work and it's time to deliver the solution to them, so we can. We can have meetings more often, including some workshops or um, menu writing manuals or so on. I see. Yeah, that makes sense. Of course, the more you go into the project, the more hands-on the work becomes. And uh, what about you, the teams that you work in? So uh, we got that now you are uh, specifically responsible for certain projects. But um, what is typically the working arrangement? Are you mostly alone working? Or um, do you have a team of people to working with you or under you? How, how does the structure work? Uh, we work in a very interesting setting, I think. And it's different on every project. Some projects have only two people in them. And some projects are uh, for 10, maybe even 15 people. So the positions are also varied. And... Uh, in data scientists, somebody can be a data scientist in one project and work as a data engineer in another project. So uh, you can really choose what what's interests you. And uh, in Aspicker, in the pro product that I work in, we have uh, we are a team of ten people, and uh, we are divided into like we, we work like small individual entrepreneurs. So uh, we have our own solutions and we have weekly meetings to uh, give update and to make sure that uh, we, to, to assure reusability so that no two people code the same piece of code twice. That makes sense. And it's also nice that you can take different roles so that you will have the chance to work on your different skills. If you're a data scientist and you want to go into a more data engineering sort of role, then you have the chance to uh, work on that. So it's pretty cool. Yeah, exactly. And also regarding your seniority, so you can be a senior data scientist, but a junior data engineer, and it's still perfectly fine. That's nice. And... Uh, Can you give us now a couple of examples of the projects you've done, if it's not very confidential? For me, it's mostly AdPicker, which is our product, and it's focused on the optimization of online advertising, but it ranges uh, really, it, it has a wide usage. But uh, the parts that I have been working on are focused on ad targeting and ad quality. So... The, the outcome is that you spend your budget on advertising optimally. 
And another project that is quite interesting that I have worked on is churn prediction solution for a mobile game studio. And uh, there was the goal to predict how likely the players are to quit the game. So that was quite interesting. And also part of that solution was to play the game, actually. So nice. that was that was really fun. <laughs> mm-hmm. I have a little bit different projects. I work uh, currently, I'm working on a shelf inspector, which is a computer vision project uh, where we try to optimize uh, the visits and refilling of the products in uh, stores. And uh, it's well, uh, it consists of the uh, mo- the mobile app, uh, which is used for sending us the photos from the store, and we analyze them. And then we have uh, reports when we report uh, the planogram, uh, the planogram, uh, planogram uh, results from uh, from comparing the reality uh, with the prescribed uh, prescribed uh, order. Then some shelf shares, and also we scan uh, prices and uh, pair them, match them with uh, the products. So this is one project. Another one, not computer vision based, uh, was for example a location intelligence project for one company uh, owning uh, restaurants and pubs and uh, breweries, where we try to uh, optimize uh, the the restaurant and pubs uh, uh, in a spatial uh, spatial context. And we use uh, some f- free uh, free data, for example, OpenStreetMap data, demography, and also their their internal data. But it was something uh, different for me uh, because the data were a little bit different—not just tables or images, but uh, it was well, it was tables, but containing uh, coordinates and so on. You have to work with polygons and uh, different visualizations. It was quite in- interesting for me. Nice. It sounds like you guys have been uh, have worked on uh, interesting and actually different projects, very different projects. Uh, and it's yeah, it sounds like as you said in the beginning, the company has a very good portfolio of different types of projects. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it is. It's really uh, like it sounds. And uh, usually we have some uh, one, let's say, expert for the given topic. For example, Nicola and uh, targeting, or someone in the computer vision, so they can share their knowledge and to other to make it easier for them. Yeah, so I think that's a very good setting. Uh, okay, so one other thing that I want to know is um, how do you typically deliver at the end of a project? I know it differs a lot from project to project, but it is a big unknown for an aspiring data scientist, like what a data scientist delivers, because, you know, if you were a, I don't know, strategy consultant, maybe you deliver a PowerPoint or a document or a report. Or, I don't know, if you are a software engineer, you would deliver an app. But what what do you deliver as a data scientist? What are some types of deliverables that you worked on? Um, We have two major types of uh, our outcomes. One is a production pipeline that is automatically executed every day and uploads the output from a prediction model into production. So that is uh, the case in some of our projects. And um, apart from that, the other uh, way that we deliver is directly the output of the model, which can be in the form of a whitelist. For example, in AdPicker, we have a whitelist of domains and their bid multipliers, which could be translated as the affinity or the correlation between each domain and our target or a score of the domain and the quality of the domain. So 
that we can use the bit multiplier to adjust how much money we want to spend on the domain. Okay, that's interesting. That's the first time I hear of that format, actually. <laughs> yeah, it's very, uh, very specific. This entire uh, ad online space is quite specific and there are many terms and many abbreviations that you need to get familiar with. So that was quite challenging at first. <laughs> yeah, definitely. And what about you, Peter? Have you uh, worked on any other types of deliverables? Mm, I think just uh, Nicolas say them all uh, it is either the earning pipeline and uh, the updates for example on in shelf inspector we are processing the new new images we receive or well it was always for me to running pipeline in production mm -hmm. and then after you guys deliver the production pipeline you still um, provide maintenance yeah, sure. Uh, it's also a part of our work to make sure that the pipeline is running correctly. And, uh, well, in case that, it's, that it isn't, we ensure that uh, we correct it and it's back up and running. Mm -hmm. uh, okay, so let's talk a little bit about the technologies that you're using. Now, can you tell me a bit about the tools, the, the programming languages or programming platforms that you use? What, what, what are the t typical ones that you we use often mm -hmm. well, again it depends on the project you are working on for example if you uh, are working with some really big data we are using uh, PySpark and uh, the as Nicolas said we are a cloud company so we are we uh, use mostly Microsoft Azure and uh, Databricks where we execute the PySpark on the other hand, for example, in Shelf Inspector, we work with images and it's slightly different. We use Python and uh, TensorFlow and so on. But uh, I think this, uh, that in most projects, the frameworks uh, are the same. For example, we try to use, uh, well, we don't try, we use uh, MLflow or Azure ML for maintaining uh, models and deploying them. And uh, well, for the communication, for example, between uh, our colleagues and sometimes even customers, we use uh, Slack. And from the other point of view for uh, the versioning uh, of the code, we use uh, Git and GitHub, GitLab, and so on. Mm -hmm. And does it change based on client to client what technologies you're using? Is, are there like clients who want you to use R, for example? Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's true. Sometimes we uh, use R when the client has some, uh, is R-based, if we can say this. Uh, or sometimes in the cloud, because as I said, we mainly use Microsoft Azure, but some clients are uh, are running or on uh, the Amazon or maybe Google Cloud. So uh, we uh, tr we try to be able to work on with as many as possible languages and clouds. Yeah, yeah. because uh, yeah, that's also one of the points that I'm trying to get across. It really the the technology itself doesn't matter. I think as a data scientist, one of the most important things or one of the most important skills that we should have is the ability to learn something new when you need to, because every project has its own different requirements at the end of the day. Yeah, I also think that it's so um, growing so fast this field because uh, PySpark was introduced only a few years ago, if I'm right. And I think it's a perfect way of com a combination of Python and SQL. And well, we'll see what uh, what we are coding in in the five years or something. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Uh, so there is also this other understanding I see online. Um, 
about how a data scientist divides his or her time uh, between tasks. So for example, uh, one thing that people say is that more than 50% of their time is spent on data preparation and data cleaning, which I also agree. That's also in my experience true. But what about you guys? Is that uh, correct for you? Or how do you, if that's not true, how do you separate your tasks time-wise? Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it depends on the, the project and the data you receive, uh, really, because sometimes uh, there is a lot of cleaning needed for data, and sometimes they are also cleared, clear, for example, from previous your work on projects or company so it really depends i think but maybe the the common uh well the common point for me just uh, is the uh cooperation between multiple projects because uh it, it, data syntics uh, almost every everyone is assigned to more to more pro- projects so this is quite something uh, sometimes it's quite uh difficult to cope with uh with more projects and uh for example, which works for me, I uh, every day I try to make a list of uh, tasks or problems I want to solve, and then I uh, try to estimate the time needed for solving them, and then ch- choose uh, I choose the most urgent ones, and f- for the rest I left it for the an- another day. I see. Yeah, that that sounds like a good way of doing it. Yeah. Okay. Uh, anything you want to add there, Nicola, or maybe uh, regarding the data pre-processing. I haven't encountered a project that I that would require 50% of the time to, to be dedicated to data pre-processing. And in AdPicker, we have quite an advantage that uh, all the solutions are based around the same data. So basically, we have created the, pipeline, the tiny little pipeline for data pre-processing and we all use that one for our solutions. So uh, basically if I want to start a new solution, uh, I just uh, use this template template pipeline and I have the data cleaned and I can start with feature engineering and building my models. Mm-hmm. Then uh, if that's not taking you a lot of time, what is the task or part of the project that takes the most time? Is it the modeling, training the model, tuning the model? That's an interesting question. And I think it's really diverse and it's really different from day to day. Uh, Sometimes it's communication with the client and preparing presentations with our outcomes, mostly at the end of a project. We want to uh, really see how it performed and why it performed this way, what could be improved in the next iteration and so on. So maybe this is the most time-consuming part of my job, really to uh, to interpret the model and to see its drawbacks and pros. Yeah, I understand that, definitely. It's I feel like that's one of the most important um responsibilities of a data scientist is to communicate what you have done because we're such experts in one area it's very easy to assume that other people will understand what's happening but i think it's very important to make sure that you convey your message and you actually tell people what's working what's not working and what are the results that we can draw from this uh, project at the end yes exactly and it's even harder to communicate it with people with different backgrounds and different knowledge definitely so I never know how into detail uh, I should go, and that's a challenge. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. That's something we learn more and more with experience, I think. 
Uh, okay, so let's talk a little bit about how you like your job. Uh, what has been the most exciting thing for you guys about your jobs? I really like that my work is almost immediately put into use and actually helps someone. That's, I think, really a pleasant change. Uh, having coming from the university where uh, even your master thesis uh, doesn't get used or most of your projects are just uh, marked with some points and you never get back to it. Uh, I also like that there is so much to learn and you can always get better. And the more you know, the more you realize how much better you should get. <laughs> Mm -hmm. So um, I think it really matches my personality and uh, that I see how much I can grow. And what, what is also a part of what I like about this job is that there are so many communities and meetups around machine learning. And there's a huge community of connected people that really support each other and are willing to share their experience. And I think that's quite unique. Mm -hmm. Maybe I would. What's uh, most exciting for me also? also uh, of course, the points Nicola said they are totally true. And maybe next, uh, what I found exciting is that uh, data science is really say, diverse. You can uh, specialize on many things, for example, NLP, computer vision, classification uh, in general, and so on. So and then in uh, for each of them there are so many algorithms, models, and approaches that you can explore. It's I think it's never ending, uh, never ending journey. So it's it's the most exciting thing I think for me. But also, which I really like, it's uh, uh, the way we uh, try to utilize the data in uh, in a in a how to say. It? In a new way, for example, the public data from OpenStreetMaps, we use them in uh, our location intelligence project, and it was quite uh, quite nice to see how they can be utilized many ways, and many um, they can uh, bring the profit uh, to many projects. Nice. Uh, okay. So, but what about the part that you find the most boring or annoying, or you know, something that if you never did again, we will never miss? From my side, it's definitely waiting for a cluster to start. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And uh, maybe one for, for me, I uh, really don't like explaining what I do to people who don't know much about IT and data. For example, grandparents or some uh, other people, it's really difficult to explain what I do. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I definitely feel that too. I feel like if you were, if you were a software engineer, for example, people kind of know about that more now than maybe like 10 years ago. So even that would be easier to explain. But when you're a data scientist, it's like so like in a gray area, it's very hard to understand. So what I do is mostly just give them some examples. Uh -huh. Yeah, exactly. Examples of projects or I'm telling I'm, I work on IT or I'm a programmer and they're fine. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, okay, so this question is for Nicola specifically. I'm sorry, Peter. <laughs> How is it like being a woman in this uh, technological area? Do you encounter any bias at your work? Uh, luckily, I have never had a really bad experience. And in data centrics, there are quite a lot of women, roughly 30 to 40%, which is a lot more than I have been used to. And I feel, re feel really lucky to work in such environment because I think that we really see each colleague for who they are and you know as as a colleague and we don't put any labels 
So I really feel like there is no bias at all. In my previous jobs and at the university, uh, women were really a minority. There were around 5% of girls at the university and in Red Hat, I even happened to be the only woman on the entire floor. <laughs> so that's that was really uh, well, strange. <laughs> well, what I could say is that it really makes you stand out, and whether it's a bad or a good thing. So on one hand, the teachers are more, more likely to remember your name, or on the other hand, you'll probably, they'll probably notice when you skip a lecture. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Definitely has its pros and cons. <laughs> But that's something I've heard before. I feel like when you're a woman also in business life, people tend to... It's not a good thing that they don't expect that much from you, but they, they tend to get impressed by what you do much more easily. Which, yeah, as you said, it's kind of good, but also kind of bad. <laughs> yeah, I, I think that too, that maybe uh, sometimes I feel that the people expression when... I show them my code or what I've done that they expect it somewhat less from me or mm -hmm. they are like happily surprised. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah. But I think it makes us women really strive to be better, you know, not just for ourselves, but deep inside. I think that we also want to prove others our worth and that we can be as good as any other colleagues. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. And also for the sake of uh, equality, Peter, have you ever also encountered any bias or any negative, um, I don't know, behavior towards yourself? Mm, luckily, not yet. Um, really, I think our, uh, the people in our company are really, really cool people. And I think it's, uh, it's not in place here. That's great, because I feel like technology careers can get really competitive Uh, okay, so my last question to you guys is if you have any advice for someone who wants to become a data scientist in the future, what would you? What would be the one piece of advice that you would give to that person? Mm -hmm. Well, maybe the main, main uh, point from me is that you have to try to be passionate about it because when you like it, it will make the process of learning and growing a lot easier because... Uh, Well, data science in the general it's not super easy but on the other hand it's not some rocket science but it really takes some time and you have to be prepared to invest it to, to learning and growing continually so it's one thing and uh, the other may be about the, the theory because i often heard the difference of school and uh, real world and so on so i think that, that uh, don't skip the theory th theory really because it's needed on the other hand you have to support it with practice you have to uh, teach and uh, learn some methods and then apply them code them and really see how they work great advice i really like what peter said about passion and i think that's a really important aspect in anything that you want to do in life and i would suggest if you're struggling to find passion for it Uh, try to look at data science from various angles. So maybe you are not passionate about data science, but what about data engineering? Or maybe you would be interested in some application, such as in biomedicine or specifically object detection in images. It's so broad and diverse. And I think it, uh, it's great to find your, your passion even within data science. Uh, I think it also helps to keep eyes open for events. 
for meetups and conferences. It's always helpful to meet new people that have more experience and uh, get information and uh, enthusiasm from them. Now also due to the COVID pandemic, many events are moved online and some of them uh, are also now for free. So it's even easier to attend. And the last point from me would be, don't be afraid to reach out. If you have any questions or if you get stuck on some problem, people are usually happy to help and we've all been there uh, on your place. So uh, if you come with a particular question or issue you've been struggling with, people will be always happy to help you and you can uh, even reach out to us. We'll be happy to help. And if your question or topic could be interesting for a broader audience, we could write a post on our blog about it because we have just re released our blog on Medium. So uh, we'll be happy to write an article for you. Nice. That's great. And uh, that's also great advice. Thanks a lot. Uh, yeah, that was all of my question, guys. And this was a very fun conversation. Thanks a lot for being here. It's always, I always really love hearing a new perspective on the data science career and the overall the data scene. So thanks again for being here. Thank you very much for your invitation. And I hope you guys liked uh, listening to it. Mm -hmm. Thank you. No worry. And try and practice. Hey, thank you for listening and I hope you enjoyed this episode. Don't forget to take my free data science kickstarter course to learn what it takes to become a data scientist. See you next time.